This is the EPLOG audio experience. The views, thoughts and opinions expressed are the host's own and do not represent the views, thoughts and opinions of EPLOG Media Private Limited. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes and or entertainment purposes only. Listener discretion advised. Welcome back to History Chatter. This is episode 2 of our series on the liberation of Goa. We call it Konkan Uprising. In the last episode, we ended with a dramatic defiance of Dr. Lal Manohar Lahia, who had gone, in fact, on short notice to Goa and uh, spoke during a public meeting in June 1946. he in fact uh, defied the local police and the authorities to be speaking in that gathering he had gone there on the invitation of his friend dr menezes of course lohia was finally arrested and he was immediately deported out of goa only to return with advance notice after 3 months By then he had already rekindled the fire for a fight to the finish in the mind of Goan nationalists. He would eventually leave the Congress in 1948. His friend um, who had invited him to Goa, who had in fact recommended him a trip to Goa for recovering his health after being released from a long stint in prison, uh, himself relocated to Bombay. from where he carried on the goa nationalist struggle with his gomantak praja mandal now there are some ambiguities lack of clarity or unanimity perhaps about uh, details around this dramatic event that is lohia's address to uh, this large gathering of goans in june 1946 it is not clear who had provided safe transport to lohia and menezes to the meeting venue please understand that the police had more or less impounded all taxis and required all the taxis to report to the police uh, including those uh, passengers that they had been carrying there are two names uh, and there is no clarity on which one is correct similarly the designation of the man who held the gun on lohia's head is doubtful he may be either the police chief uh, this is captain who had held the gun on lohia's head uh, we had said it was captain miranda uh, he may be either the police chief of margao or he may be taluka administrator of solset these details are not very clear yet but lohia had left and the goan nationalists boldly carried forward the torch of open rebellion tristau de braganza kunha followed up the lohia encounter with a public meeting the same month at the same venue this is 30th june 1946 at that meeting the portuguese police publicly beat konha to humiliate him poet uh, bakiba borker who was present at the meeting recited dotor bos utun chaluk lag doctor sit down arise and march so konha marched into history 
he became the first Goan to be deported and jailed at the Peniche Fort Jail in Portugal in 1946. He would be followed by advocate uh, John Inacio Loyola. Freedom fighters Dr. Ram Hegde and Lakshmikant V. Vembre and Purushottam Kakadkar were also jailed in Peniche in December 1946. Now, Peniche a coastal town situated a few kilometers north of Lisbon had an ancient fort built by the invading Muslim Berbers on a rocky peninsula. This was long before Portugal was born as a nation in the year 1143. The fort was now used by Salazar, the dictator of Portugal, as a jail for political prisoners. So here in Goa, the nationalists met in Londa on 17th and 18th August and formed the National Congress Goa, which can also be called NCG. It was actually a merger of several parties. It was a merger of uh, Dr. Ram Hegre's Gomanta Congress and Purushottam Kakadkar's Goa Congress. It was led by Dr. Ram Hegde and had Lakshman Rao Sardesai, Balakrishna Borkar, Narayan Prabhu Bhembre, Venkatesh Vaidya and Vasant Kare as executive members. However, there was no unanimity among the members of uh, NCG. A section felt that peaceful means would not impress the Portuguese and advocated violent means. So the NCG split in 1947 into two factions. The militant and underground section continued to be based at Londa. The one advocating peaceful methods moved from Londa to Belgaum and finally to Bombay. Eventually, the NCG went on to spawn four distinct groups. Goa Action Committee was formed in 1953 in Bombay at the instance of T.B. Kunha. Um, it looked to coordinate efforts of diverse groups looking for Goa's liberation. The Goa Liberation Council, um, which included Professor Aloysius Soros, uh, Dr. Ulbaldo Mascarenhas, Dr. Arthur Desa, Professor Francisco Correra Alfonso, Professor Armando Menezes, Professor L. N. Velinker, um, Lieutenant D'Souza, J. N. Heredia, J. M. Pinto, uh, and many others, was formed in Bombay in uh, June 1954. It launched a fortnightly called Goan Tribute to highlight the Portuguese atrocities in Goa and distributed the journal both among Indian political leaders and those from Western countries. So nationalism was also alive in Goa, which by now had become a police state virtually at any rate. In Margao, 
A secret police reported that uh, the Abade Farrier Road residence of uh, advocate Francisco Paul Ribeiro was the venue of regular meetings of nationalists who stood for restoration of civil liberties, autonomy for Goa, and eventual dismantling of Portugal's colonialism in Goa. Now, once India gained independence, Salazar knew that Portuguese colonial rule would be endangered. Mahatma Gandhi declared in the Harijan on 30th June 1946 that Goa could not remain under Portuguese rule. He was referring to Lohia's uh, great uh, speech in that meeting that we spoke about in the last episode. Let me quote Gandhi and I quote, Lohia has thereby rendered a service to the cause of civil liberty and especially to the Goans, the little Portuguese settlement which merely exists on the sufferance of the British government can ill afford to ape its bad manners. In free India, Goa cannot be allowed to exist as a separate entity in opposition to the laws of the free state. Gandhi also said, and I quote again, I would venture to advise the Portuguese government of Goa to recognize the signs of the times and come to the honorable terms with its inhabitants rather than function on any treaty that might exist between them and the British government." Unquote. After the interim government of India took over on 2nd September 1946, it appointed Mirza Rashid Ali Beg, who was uh, the prince of a small kingdom near Delhi, as India's first consul general in Panjim. On 15th of August 1947, while India rejoiced, uh, Mirza Rashid Ali Beg hoisted the national tricolor at the consulate. Now, that evening, he also threw a party that was jam-packed. According to the consul's son, Beg's son, author Murad Ali Beg, who was then only eight years old, the consul was, and I quote, told that the entire Portuguese police, army, and navy personnel had locked themselves inside their barracks fearing an uprising and a naval vessel had left the port, unquote. Now, seeing a historic opportunity, uh, Big urgently cabled Prime Minister Nehru to declare Goa independent. The reply was that such a hasty step, and I quote, would not look good to the world and that Portugal would eventually have to recognize the historic inevitability of leaving the colony, unquote. The French, with four small enclaves, Pondicherry and Karaikal on the Tamil coast, Yanam on the Andhra coast, and Mahe on the Kerala coast. Meanwhile, Chandanagar, north of Calcutta, had merged with India in June 1949. The French negotiated with India secured some guarantees for the people of their positions and gracefully left after signing a bilateral treaty with India on 28th May 1956. 
India expected Portugal to follow suit, but that did not happen. Meanwhile, the Nizam of Hyderabad, who had signed a standstill agreement with India, something that I spoke about in detail in a previous episode, sprang into action. According to P.D. Gaetonde, the Nizam um, had been desperately looking for a seaport for his kingdom. Now, he made an offer to Portugal to buy up Goa. This is Gaetonde's version at any rate. The Portuguese were not ready to sell or lease Goa. They probably offered some kind of a joint use of the port. In any case, the deal did not work out. Apparently, the Nizam also spoke to Portugal, prospecting for smuggling of arms to India's princely states through the port of Goa. However, Portuguese foreign minister categorically told India's High Commissioner to London in um, 1948 that Portugal had no direct or indirect contact with the Nizam. Portuguese occupation of Goa was a viable insult to India's sovereignty in that Portugal referred to Goa as one of its provinces with the name the state of India, as though it held India. On 27th February 1948, India requested Portugal to open negotiations to decide the future of Portuguese enclaves in India. On 27th February 1948, India requested Portugal to open negotiations to decide the future of Portuguese enclaves in India. Prime Minister Nehru asserted that these enclaves were a part of India. On 12th March 1948, Portugal turned down India's request for negotiations. Following intense backstage diplomacy in London, where VK Krishnamenon was uh, India's High Commissioner, and New Delhi. Now, finally, Lisbon and Portugal agreed on July 15, 1948, to exchange diplomatic representatives. In February 1950, India formally requested Portugal to start negotiations on the future of the Portuguese colonies in India. These colonies comprised Goa, Daman and Diu in coastal Gujarat. Incidentally, Dadra and Nagar Haveli were a temporary grant as a Jagir by the Peshwa court to the Portuguese. But the Marathas had forgotten to reclaim it before the Peshwa itself disappeared in 1819. India regarded the enclaves of Goa, Daman, and Diu as historically, geographically, ethnically, culturally, linguistically, and legally one with the rest of India. All Goans settled in India prior to 1945 were treated as Indian citizens and registered as voters in their place of domicile. 
Goans from Goa were allowed free entry into India without passport or visas. Uh, before Nehru's implosion of 1954 economic blockade. We'll come to that in a while. Ethnic Portuguese, when they entered India by land, sea or air, had to produce passports and visas. India's entering Goa, however, were subjected to strict restrictions. On um, 15th June 1950, Portuguese foreign minister, Jose um, Cairo de Mata said, negotiations proposed by India were, and I quote, only to define how the Portuguese state of India would be integrated into Indian Union, unquote. Therefore, they rejected the request. Portugal asserted that these enclaves were not colonies, but and I quote, a part of the Portuguese nation, as integral as the province of Algreve, meaning integral parts of mainland Portugal as overseas provinces. Now, that was in any case how Portugal decided to see it. Other than the emotion Portugal attached to Goa, there might have been a practical reason for Portugal to hold on to, uh, to Goa. If Portugal were to lose Goa, it could open the floodgates to vacate the African colonies of Angola, Mozambique, Cabinda or Congo, Cape Verde, Portuguese Guinea, which is now Guinea-Bissau, Sao Tome and Principe and Asia. They had Macau and Portuguese Timor, now Timor-Leste. Unlike tiny Goa, which was actually a burden, Angola, and to some extent Mozambique, contributed profits to Portugal's treasury. So uh, while many in Portugal felt that the country should abandon colonialism in Asia and Africa, they were up against a dictator. The few who publicly voiced their opinions, such as opposition leaders, socialists and university teachers, were immediately put behind bars. Incidentally, like most dictators, Antonio Salazar was also paranoid. He was mortally afraid of flying and never traveled beyond Spain. Once, when he was required to ceremonially pose with the first aircraft brought by the Portugal Airlines, he made sure that its fuel tank was completely empty. On 14th January 1953, India served another aid de memoir, which called for, and I quote, a direct transfer, unquote, of the territories. And it declared the government of India's desire to maintain the cultural identity and other rights, including language, laws, and customs of the inhabitants of these territories. They proposed to make absolutely no changes um, in such uh, and like manners, except uh, with their consent. Portugal was still not ready to discuss the question, not at all. And they were not um, going to accept any solution offered by India. That they made clear. So 
India sent up another note on 14th January 1953. Then there were notes again on 1st of May and 21st of May in 1953. Portugal refused simply to come to the negotiating table. India served another note on 26th of May and finally decided to close down its embassy in Lisbon on 11th of June, 1953. Diplomacy was not going anywhere. Portugal was deaf to India's pleas to see reason and quit Goa gracefully. India was deaf to Portugal's fantastical claim that Goa was a part of mainland Portugal. And yet, India offered its support when Portugal joined the United Nations in 1955. And Portugal promptly repaid the courtesy by filing a case against India in the International Court of Justice. Salazar had calculated, quite rightly, that re-designating Goa as a province of Portugal would prevent Nehru from using force to take it over. On 18th June 1954, nationalists uh, unfurled the Indian tricolor in Goa. Immediately, over 20 groups of people were arrested. The government of India warned that it could no longer continue to remain a silent spectator of the oppressive policy which the Portuguese authorities in Goa followed, meaning India decided finally to act. But the government of India did nothing of that sort. In fact, it did something which was diametrically opposite. It remained a mere vocal spectator. The Goans did not have any choice except for taking matters into their own hands. Meanwhile, Dadra and Nagar Haveli were taken over. India had barred the passage of Portuguese military personnel through Indian territory to Dadra and Nagar Haveli in October 1953. On 22nd of July 1954, 35 volunteers of the militant United Front of Goans occupied Dadra, which was at the time being defended by 32 Portuguese policemen. Portugal later claimed that a battalion of the light infantry had encircled Dadra. Volunteers of the militant Azad Gomantak Dal and others, including Prabhakar Senari of, of Ribandar and uh, Christopher Gabriel Polo Das Augustias Fortodo um, and Goan People's Party, along with volunteers of the RSS, freed Nagar Haveli by 2nd of August 1954 again. There were Portuguese claims of Indians' armed involvement. They said that 1,200 Indian reserve police with 11 jeeps liberated uh, Nagar Haveli. Morarji Desai, who was at the time the chief minister of Bombay State, which um, surrounded Dadra and Nagar Haveli, wrote in his The Story of My Life, his autobiography, that he did post some state reserve police personnel who, from their appearance and training, resembled military forces. And that's that. This was slightly before the Goan nationalists struck. They had made him, the Goan nationalists had met uh, Morarji Desai and sought his help. But 
India did not integrate Dadra and Nagar Haveli into the Indian Union. That would take place seven years later, on 11th of August, 1961. And that's where I'd like to conclude today's episode with the liberation of uh, Dadra and Nagar Haveli. In the next episode, we will look at uh, the final phase of Goa's liberation from 1955 to 1961, which was also in many ways the most uh, tortuous, the most dramatic and the most exhausting. Till then, I'll see you. This is Anirban, History Chatter. Do come back uh, and listen to History Chatter on Epilogue Media app and all your favorite podcast streaming platforms.